live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right, let's start off. You want the good news or the bad news? I'll give you the good news first because I'm that kind of guy. The good news is it is June 15th. And it is finally warming up. Now, I know we had that one day of 90-degree temperatures, but let's let's face it. So far, weather-wise, this has pretty much been the summer that, that has not happened. And if you were out and about this weekend, I mean, it was, it was just kind of amazing, particularly if you live anywhere near the lake. It was, wow, this is odd. Ah, this is great weather for, you know, early April, but it wasn't exactly June weather. But... 67 degrees at our studio here on Capitol Drive. And if you're looking at least the long-term forecast, it looks like you're seeing temperatures in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. So it looks like what we would typically describe as summer weather is here. That is the good news. The, the bad news, all right, starting next Sunday, days start to begin to become shorter. <laughs> we're, 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 we've got the, the summer equinox that is coming up next week, and you know I think next Sunday is like the longest amount of daylight hours, and then the days start to gradually get shorter. So it's finally warming up, but we're going to start losing daylight. Good news, bad news, glass half full, glass half empty. We will figure that out. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. couple things, including a link to a story we're going to be talking about a little bit later um, involving the cancel culture that continues to just run amok in this, this country and in this state and in this area. Uh, and another, uh, just a story in the Washington Post that I, I sent out a link to as well. President Trump is scheduled on Saturday to have a, one of his big, you know, Make America Great Again rallies in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it's going to be inside a facility and they're going to have like 19,000 people there. And, and now you, you have all the people that are, are wringing their hands and saying, okay, this is, this is a health risk. We, we don't think that you should have all these people together and it's going to lead to the spread of coronavirus and, and all that. And there was George Stephanopoulos on Good Morning America who was just appalled by this whole thing. And I, I understand it. And I sent out a link to this story on, again, if you follow me, it's a Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. Now, I, I want to be real clear here. I don't think it is a good idea for people to be gathering in huge groups. And I don't have any plans in the immediate future to attend a mass gathering of any kind. But at the same time, being upset that President Trump plans a Make America Great rally because of COVID-19 concerns, while at the same time cheering on the other large protests that have been around, seems well, inconsistent at best. And I understand that the the rally, the Trump rally, is going to be inside as opposed to outside, but that really is, is largely a distinction without a difference. I mean, once, let, let's face it, the genie is out of the bottle on mass gatherings. And, and once you saw thousands of people 
close quarters, walking through the streets, some with masks, many without masks, and screaming and shouting. And, you know, people that endorse that and participated in that. And I, I understand the motivations. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm not criticizing the the people who decided to protest. But you know, once that decision was made, let's face it, you lose the moral high ground moving forward to complain against ga- about gatherings of any size. And for Milwaukee County Executive and the Milwaukee Mayor, that this has now kind of set the the standard. And for Tom Barrett, for example, to argue that we shouldn't allow restaurants or bars to open and operate at anything close to normal capacity and let people make the decision as to whether they want to go there or not, and at the same time participate in the protest marches. Uh, Again, from a COVID-19 concern, that genie is out of the bottle. And while I don't intend to be going to any sort of mass gatherings, you cannot have it both ways, period. Which brings me to the, the story that I want to start with. And again, let me give you this disclaimer at the front. If you have listened to my program over the years and years that I've been on the air in this market, you, you know that I am pro-law enforcement, and that comes from my background in the U.S. Attorney's Office and just my, my general world view. I, I think it's very, very easy for people to second-guess the actions of police officers when they have to make decisions just on, on the spot. And it's very easy, you know, when you when you want to look back three or four days later and you want to micromanage and you want to run the videotape back and, and look at these split-second de- decisions that officers have to make. It's very easy to be critical and say, well, I think in retrospect you should have done something different. I, I appreciate that. And that's why I tend to often give police officers the benefit of the doubt. At the same time, when you see officers who engage in conduct which is clearly not worthy of the benefit of the doubt, you have to call it out. And that's certainly the situation with what happened in Minneapolis the other day. All right, what happened in Atlanta last Friday, while not being as arguably, well, not being as, as, as egregious as what happened in Minneapolis three weeks ago today. I don't think there's any way reasonable people can look at what happened in in Atlanta and not come to the conclusion that the police really behaved badly and made a series of incorrect decisions, and as a result of that, a man has died unnecessarily. We're going to discuss in just a minute, and I will explain why. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, here is what happened Friday evening in Atlanta. About 10.30 at night, Atlanta time. Police get a call that there's a a car, there's a guy who's asleep slash passed out behind the wheel of a car at a Wendy's restaurant in South Atlanta. All right. And so it's in the drive through is where the guy is sleeping slash passed out. So cars are driving around him. OK, so they get a call and about 11, about 1040, a police officer arrives, finds the guy. He, he's sleeping. His name is Rayshard Brooks. He's sleeping behind the wheel of his car. All right. So first of all, the officer says, OK, are you all right? You good here? Here, move, move your car and and just Put the car in this parking space out out of the way, and just then then you can take a nap. So he, he directs the guy, pulls into like a parking space outside of the way of the drive-through. All right, then the officer becomes unsure as to whether he should let 
Brooks sleep in the car and just go away or whether he should take further action. So he, he calls this police dispatch and says, okay, I, you know, send another officer here. And so then another officer shows up and what they do is they talk and then they go over. Now this is, this is about 20 minutes into this. So you got the one officer that's on the scene for a guy who was sleeping in the drive-through lane at the Wendy's. Now a second police officer's arrived and, and they go over and they start to, they start to question the guy. They, they check Brooks to see whether he's got a gun. He, he doesn't have a gun. They do a sobriety test on him, which takes about seven minutes. Now at this time, the, the, one police officer has been there about a half hour on the scene for a guy who was sleeping in the drive through lane at the the Wendy's for most of most of the situation. Most of the time, Rashad Brooks is he's not resisting. He's compliant. He's friendly with the officers. He says, well, you know, he, it was his daughter's birthday and he would had a little bit to drink, but he's not too drunk to drive. Um, they ask him to take a breath test. It's, it's a little bit unclear, but it sounds like his breath test comes back at about like .108 and .8 is the legal limit for intoxication. But okay, so, so now you've got the guy, um, you know, who's, you know, arguably guilty of drunken driving. He asks the officers, okay, he says, can I just, can, can we just, can I give you my keys? Can we lock up the car? And can I walk to my, my sister's house? He says, I can, I, I can just go home. Here, you, you, you guys take the keys. We'll leave the car here. I'll come back and get it if I'm too drunk to drive. Now, again, at this point in time, this is going on about 30 minutes. You, you don't have... You don't have somebody who's resisting arrest. He's not screaming or yelling at anybody. I mean, he's he's compliant. Um, they decide, the police, that he's guilty of drunk driving. Now, they found him, again, passed out in behind the wheel of, of the car in the Wendy. So they decide that they're going to arrest him. Okay, so this, this all starts. Now, now we're about 45 minutes or more into this this confrontation. And they decide to try to handcuff him. Then what happens is he starts to he starts to resist arrest. He starts grappling with the officers on the ground. One of them is yelling, "Stop fighting! Stop fighting! You're going to get tased!" Um, and they're they're telling him, "Don't do this! You're you're going to get tased." At which point in time, one of the officers then pulls out his taser and and tases him. Okay. At that point in time, what happens is Rashad Brooks. The, the taser isn't stopping him. He reaches up and he apparently disarms one of the police officers. He grabs the guy's gun, taser, and starts to run away. At which point in time, now this is a little bit unclear, but as he's starting to run away, he kind of, like over his shoulder, he fires the taser in the direction of the officers, and one of the officers fires his gun, hits Brooks twice in the back, and kills him, right? And that—that's pretty much what what happened. This is forty-five minutes, and it starts over the fact that the guy was sleeping slash passed out in the drive-through lane. The whole confrontation, there like res- takes about forty-five minutes. The resisting arrest part is about a minute. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. I recognize you might disagree with me on this, but on this program, we call them as we see them. Number one, 
There was no reason this man should have been shot in the back, period. I understand that he, he resisted arrest. I get it. I understand that he was able to take one of the tasers from the police officer and as he was fleeing, kind of shoot over over his shoulder. But a, a taser is a non-lethal device. It does not justify pulling out your gun and shooting somebody who is a fle- is fleeing from you. Number two, police officers' lives, at least in my opinion, weren't in danger. Number three, keep think about how this started. Th- this is a 45-minute confrontation. Th- this isn't a guy who's robbing a bank or has bodies in the trunk. This is somebody that, that had too much to drink and is just you, compliant for the better part of 45 minutes. You knew who he was. You had the car. Worst case scenario, he struggles. He tries to run away. How far is he going to get? Why do you pull out your gun and shoot this man in the back? It is inexcusable. Now, I think the circumstances here are are, are obviously they're they're different than what happened in Minneapolis three weeks ago. And some people might say, well, I mean, he, he was... He, he, he was struggling. If he had just complied with the police, this would not have happened. And you know what? That's right. If he had just complied with the police, this would not have happened. But at the same time, that doesn't mean he deserves to get shot in the back. And, and there were so many opportunities here that these police officers had to de-escalate the situation. And, and at pretty much every opportunity, they, they did not take that, that course. Now, look, if he's drunk behind the wheel, I, I understand why you can't just let him, you know, go over to uh, another parking space and sleep because he's going to start the car and drive off again. So I, I get that. But once the man's saying, here, just let me walk to my sister's house, you give him a citation for drunk driving if you think it's appropriate, you take the keys, and then this whole thing just disappears. These Atlanta police officers did not do this. They escalated the situation. This guy is dead, and it's completely and totally unnecessary. And candidly, I, I'm I'm not surprised that there were charges. You can't shoot somebody in the back. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And you know, feel free to disagree with me. But this is coming from the standard standpoint of somebody who considers themselves to be pro-law enforcement. But at some time... You have to, you got to de-escalate these situations. And these police officers did not do that. Plus, what's going on? This is South Atlanta. It's They spent 45 minutes on a Friday night with this guy who's drunk behind the wheel. 45 minutes. This is one that, you know, you, you make the decision, you take the car, you give him the ticket, you call somebody to pick him up, or you let him walk away. All right, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, uh, we will get to you. Gianni and Montello, you are first. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You know, I can tell this is going to be one of these shows. Stick with me all three hours. There's going to be something that everybody agrees with and something that everybody disagrees with. I am troubled by the shooting in Atlanta. I think the police were wrong. And it's not, it, it, I'm not defending the guy that resisted arrest. But I mean, this was a 45-minute encounter. And I think there's a man that's dead that did not need to be dead, in part because he resisted arrest. I get that. But just because you resist arrest doesn't mean you get shot in the back as you're trying to run away from the police. Let's talk to Rick in Menominee Falls. Hi, Rick. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I actually disagree with you on the 
on this particular decision, I think this actually was a justified shooting. Okay, tell me why. Well, anytime uh, an officer is faced with another subject who has a weapon, then that subject uses that weapon against the officer. I, I think you got it. You got to follow along the the lines of look; those guys are there to protect you from uh, from people who are doing this sort of thing. Well, I mean, but they they it wasn't when you say a weapon. It, it's not like he had a gun. They knew he did not have a gun. He he had the uh, taser that he had taken they, from him that they knew was non lethal. So that they then that's pull the out the gun. That they, yeah, sure. If you take it from the officer's perspective, they had probably patted him down prior to. Um, before trying to take him into custody, it's only after they take him into custody that a full search would be done. You know he has a taser, but do you know he doesn't have another weapon? And do you know in that split second when he's turning around that that wasn't a gun? There's no way for the officer to know yeah. that at that point in time. Well, but they, they've patted and him down. They've been with him for 45 minutes. He, he said he wasn't armed. They checked him. I mean, the, the idea that he might have had some gun somewhere that he could reach to and grab in a matter of seconds. I I, I don't even think the officers are going to suggest that they thought it was a real gun. He plus, plus, he's running away from them. So, I mean, he's not really a threat. He's trying to get away. And they knew who they wa- he was. I mean, th- does the fact they shot him in the back bother you? Um, in a case where a person turns to look at the officer and then fire the gun, even if that's over the shoulder, that still can be, I mean, under your argument there, if it was a gun, he's running away, but turns and shoots over his shoulder under that argument, he wouldn't be able to shoot back. The cops wouldn't be able to shoot back at him because, Hey, he's running away. Right. So in a case like this, there are numerous justifications, um, especially for a circumstance like this, where, um, where a shooting would be justified, even if it's in the back. It's awful to see, absolutely. But are, are, are we going to start prosecuting every instance where force looks bad, even if it's justified? Well, Rick, I, a, I, I appreciate the perspective. World. No, but I, I guess where we disagree is I, I just don't think this is justified. I mean, I think... The, the, I mean, I think it's kind of, with all due respect, I think it's sort of Disneyland thinking that, that all right, you have somebody who you have been engaged with for 45 minutes, which to me is, is where this all starts. How, how you could let this whole thing go on for 45 minutes with a guy. And again, it's not a bank robbery they're investigating. It's not a rape. They're investigating a guy who had, had too much to drink and was, and had passed out behind the wheel in the Wendy's drive through. I mean, that, that's, that, that's what this, this is. And I mean, I, I don't care what his, background is and all he he's not posing a threat to anybody at the moment this thing starts what what should have happened right away is you decide okay and and it's you handle this like you handle any other drunk driver whether you you you, and in this case the guy wanted to walk away from keep in mind the first police officer just wanted to let him go sleep over and you know sleep behind the wheel of the car so this wasn't a situation where they viewed the man as a threat um I, i think if they're going to try to argue that they might have patted him down, missed some gun, and in the space of the, the few seconds where he's trying to run away armed with the taser, that he might have switched out the taser for a gun, that's going to be a very, very difficult sort of, of thing. And you, you can only, you're entitled to defend yourself, but you're, you can only use force which is reasonable enough to, to put down the threat. And, and, and yeah, you, 
you don't shoot people in, in the back as, as they're running away. Now, I understand you could have some circumstance where, okay, you turn, you fire at the police officers, then you start to get away, and in that split second they do it. But that that's not what happened here. You had a, a minor incident, and, and this was, in the scheme of things, this was a minor incident that, that somehow escalated, and there were all these different opportunities that the police had to to de-escalate this, and and I guess they, they didn't. Here's a couple of texts. Jeff, I, I'm a police officer in southeast Wisconsin. I watched the video, and I'm frustrated with the outcome. The officers did have some options. A, a fleeing um Let's see, a fleeing suspect who they've already identified is really a threat to no one. We terminate vehicle pursuits for the same reason, so no one ends up injured or killed as a result. See, that's that. That's the other thing. This had been going on for 45 minutes. They knew who he was. They knew where he lived. They had the car keys. They had the car. He, he's running away on, on foot. So worst case scenario... You, you let him go. You're going to catch him two blocks later. I mean, where where is the guy going to go? You that this is one where you could easily track this down. He'd given you the name of his sister's house. This there wasn't a need to respond in this particular fashion. It, it, again, at least in my opinion. Now, by the way, I'm, I'm not in any way, shape, or form also justifying what happened afterwards. You know, the 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 rioting that broke out and the Wendy's was burned down by angry people. Um, you know, that's, that's the, you know, that, that's the, that, that's the overreaction to this. But this is one where, and look, I'm not the guy that argues defund the police or anything, you know, like, like that. I, I'm not the guy that argues that. But at the same time, you, you've got to recognize some of these police officers ha- have to try to figure out how to de-escalate a, a situation, especially where you have a guy who's completely compliant until they decide to try to put the handcuffs on after a 45-minute exchange. Jeff, okay, here's a text. He didn't have a gun, but the officer did. What would prevent a man from tasing an officer and taking the officer's gun? All right, first of all, you had multiple police officers on the scene. Secondly, he was running away. I mean, he was he he wasn't trying to get the officer's handgun. He was trying to to get away. Um, Jeff, uh, these police officers should be charged with manslaughter or worse. I have begun rethinking my opinion on Black Lives Matter, and now I think this movement, you know, is is necessary. Um, dot, 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 dot. Jeff, um, you have his car and his driver's license. You know who he is. And where where he he lives? Well, that see that's that's my argument that he doesn't um, you know put a danger. Jeff, you're discounting the fact that the officers are human too, and in the middle of a violent struggle, may not be able to think calmly. Well, I, I appreciate that officers are human, which is why I, I I don't like to second guess decisions. But you can't pull out a gun and shoot somebody you know, struggle or, or not that's trying to run away from you. That's that's what we need to train officers on, and that's what we need to be very clear. And my guess is if you took 100 police officers and you said you could do this anonymously and, and ask them if they thought that the shooting was justified, the vast majority are going to say, no, we, we should have just let the guy run away. We, we knew who he was. We, we weren't – he wasn't posing a threat. He was trying to get away. And we should have let him go. And is this different than the situation in Minneapolis three weeks ago? Yeah, it, it is. But it's it's bad. 
And it's a situation where, like I say, I think there were numerous opportunities to de-escalate the situation, and the police didn't. And it's got to be a teachable moment. I'm not a guy that says defund the police. But at the same time, I, I think you know when you pull out your service revolver and you fire it, you, you've got to have that, – that's a, that's a final measure. That's the last step. And in this particular situation, just doesn't strike me as appropriate. I my guess is they are going to issue charges against the guy that the officer that, that fired the gun. Um, I think it's probably going to be appropriate. And I understand you might disagree with me on this. This doesn't mean that I'm not pro law enforcement. It doesn't mean that I don't think officers should be given the benefit of the doubt. But it's an awesome responsibility and an awesome power to be able to take people into custody, take away their their liberty and take away their life by pulling out a firearm and and discharging it. And in this particular case, shooting somebody in the back twice as they were trying to run away when you're investigating some guy who's just who's drunk at a Wendy's. That's that's tough for me to see. All right. When we come back, want to switch gears, the cancel culture continues to operate. I will share that story with you in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I love spoken word radio. I love what I do for a living. I I always say radio is such a wonderful medium. Somebody who did, I, I did daily TV for about six or seven years. I always say people recognize you from television but they know you from radio because radio is a personal medium we, we're we're talking one-on-one you you've invited me into your car or into your headphones or into your kitchen i i love the medium and, and i i love spoken word radio and i love the history of spoken word radio including the fact that back in the 40s and the 50s and the early 60s uh way before the internet you know, radio, one of the ways that people were entertained on the radio was through through radio dramas. You know, before before people had televisions and there was there was a time before TV was invented. And then, I mean, Drew, you're going to find this hard to believe. But I could back when I was a kid, color televisions were and this is in the, the 60s. People had them, but they were really expensive. I mean, that was that was just the thing. You know, I, I, I grew up. I mean, I had a little black and white portable TV set in my room and that that was it. And then starting at some time in the mid 60s, they started making all the shows in color. But even then, lots of people, unless you had a bunch of money, you didn't have you, you maybe had one color TV and it was the big console that was in the living room. And dad always got to decide what he wanted to watch. That That was it. So that was the evolution of TV. But before, you know, TV really took off, you had radio and you had radio dramas. And as a matter of fact, a lot of the shows that were popular in the early era of television, they, they migrated over from radio, like Gunsmoke in the old Western. Gunsmoke, before it was a TV show, was was a radio show. Um, one of the one of the real popular situation comedies on television was a show with um, the late Eve Arden called Our Miss Brooks. It was incredibly popular. It was it was a radio show. Remember Jack Benny? Now this is going back a long time, but but Jack Benny, um, he he had a radio show that was extremely popular before 
he he was on television and and they do these things and on radio they had all these different radio plays that were there and 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 you had uh, again shows like Jack Benny and you had like the FBI and you had the shadow the shadow knows and all those different things the thin man which was a series of which was some very popular movies they had radio shows there's radio broadcasts of all this and if you ever have a chance to go back and listen remember war of the worlds the the HG Wells thing that that they aired that and and people actually thought Martians were invading. Okay, that was that was spoken word radio, and that was the power of radio. And there's all these classic radio shows and these radio broadcasts are out there that take us back to an, another time, before there was the TV, before there was the Internet. So why are we talking about this? Because um, Wisconsin Public Radio, for the last 31 years, starting in 1989, has on Saturday and Sunday nights... They've run a two-hour program called Old Time Radio Drama. And, and what, this, what this program does is they go back into the archives and they pull out, they, they pull out radio broadcasts from these old-time radio shows, and, and they play them. So, for example, last weekend, I've got the list here, last weekend um, they had something called um, – Crime Classics from 1953, The FBI in Peace and War from 1953, Gunsmoke from 1959. These are radio broadcasts that, that they end up they end up playing these things. So that's what they do. Um, the the show, the, the, I have numbers from from a few years ago. I mean, it, it didn't have a huge following, but you had the Saturday night broadcast, you know, eleven thousand people. The Sunday night broadcast, twenty one thousand people. That's not enormous numbers, but still. You know, it's it's Saturday and Sunday nights, which is kind of a graveyard for broadcasting of any sort, unless it's live sports or something like that. But they've been airing this. All right. Well, if you haven't heard it, you're not going to get a chance because Wisconsin Public Radio has canceled the programs. And, and they did it with very short notice. But last weekend was the last dramas, the last old time radio dramas. Now, they didn't do it because of ratings. They did it. Because they felt that um, the the dramas, well, th- that some of them contained outdated sort of thinking. Um, some of them contained stereotypical views of minorities or uh, of women, and as a result, they just decided, boom, we're 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 going to cancel. The program. Now, I don't know that they've gotten a lot of complaints about the old time radio drama, but they've just decided, well, you know, some of the material in there could be determined as racist and and sexist. Many of the plays and productions were produced more than 60 years ago. Despite significant effort over the years, it is nearly impossible to find historic programs without some offensive or outdated content. And so they've canceled it. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I sent out a tweet with a link to the story, and I'm very serious. What What is next with the cancel culture? If old-time radio drama now has to go, what about the Andy Griffith show? I'm serious. I mean, think about the stereotypes that you find in that show. First of all, kind of a pro-police message, and, and then, you know, some of the stereotypes. What about, what about I Love Lucy? 
you know, the, the portrayal of, of her husband, Ricky Ricardo, and the kind of the stereotypical approach or the stereotypical approach towards women or, or whatever. You know, what about, you know, leave it to Beaver? Where, where does the cancel culture stop? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Old time radio drama. Is this now too controversial to put on the air in 2020? And what do we do about these old radio plays? Can, can we not even process them? Is it so objectionable that you can't hear them? Do we sanitize history and where do we stop? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. And this is Jeff Wagner, Bill and Oshkosh. Bill, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you, Bill. What do you think? Okay, they're canceling all these old-time radio shows. They're too controversial. We can't handle it in 2020. Oh, they're full of baloney. Grammy sakes, when we were growing up as kids, Jeff, we listened to Dragnet. Yep. The Lone Ranger. Yep. Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. Yep. San Francisco Beat. The Shadow. Lights Out. Right. Amos and Andy, uh, who happened to be two white guys that portrayed Amos and Andy. Right. No, we can't. Bill, I got to let you go. I'm sorry. I got to go. Kind of up against the clock. But I, I was just making a list of some of those those things that you were talking about, like the Lone Ranger. You, you couldn't run the Lone Ranger nowadays because it would be viewed as you know, the Lone Ranger had Tonto, and it would be viewed as okay. This, this is this is objectionable to Native Americans, and here this is this sort of stereotype. Dragnet. I mean, whether it's the radio show or that's another example of something that went from radio to TV. You you couldn't air Dragnet nowadays because it, it's got a pro police. <laughs> bent to it i mean i guess th- th- this is the thing where where do we draw the the line here's a text jeff thanks for the topic of uh, yesterday radio i i have an archive i listen to it all day long while driving in my semi and using my phone it has all those those radio shows jeff this is going way too far i believe that before they cancel all the classics that i grew up with um you know maybe they should cancel some of the garbage that's on tv right now um yeah and where does it stop here's somebody tom sawyer and huckleberry finn will likely be next 40 years ago they were required reading in american literature classes mark twain was considered one of the greatest american authors you know a- absolutely i mean but we now have this cancel culture that is out there that says you you can't handle this you you can't process this and heaven forbid that we at wisconsin public radio should should air these these racist and or or sexist shows with Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One final thought about our conversation involving the cancel culture. And if you were listening to that segment, you might say, okay, Jeff, who, who cares if WPR, Wisconsin Public Radio, decides that it's, it's too controversial to air old episodes of Gunsmoke or The Thin Man or Our Miss Brooks or, or whatever. Who cares if, if TV stations decided it's too controversial to air like I Love Lucy. I mean, again, I'm, I'm waiting for people to come after I Love Lucy because, again, if you want to talk about stereotypical portrayals, in this case of, of the Desi Arnaz, the Ricky Ricardo character, I mean, that, that that's it. Or um, Andy Griffith because the, the show has, I don't know, stereotypical portrayals perhaps of, of 
um, you know, certain types of characters or it's got a pro law enforcement bent. If you say, who cares about these old time radio shows? We, we don't listen to them anyways. That's just, it's a niche market. Or, you know, who cares about the Andy Griffith shows or I Love Lucy or, you know, f- fill in the blank. You know, who, who cares about that? Well, here's what you need to worry about the book banners and the count, can- the uh, cancel culture. Cause because maybe you don't care about the Andy Griffith show, or maybe you don't care about I Love Lucy, or maybe you don't care about the Gunsmoke radio show or whatever. That, that's all well and good. But trust me on this. Sooner or later, those people in the cancel culture, the book banners, the TV banners, what they're going to do is they're going to come after something that you do care about. And it, I mean, I can't tell you what it's going to be, but it, it's... Okay, no, you can't watch this type of entertainment. Or no, you, you can't have, you know, this type of, of music because somebody's going to be offended by that. Or we can't have these movies because of this portrayal. Or we need to, uh, again, sanitize and, and whitewash history. We can't even teach this in, in the classrooms. You, you, we're going to have that at some point in time. And like I say, maybe, maybe you don't care about the old movies or the old TV shows or, you know, the Gone with the Wind or whatever. Okay, I respect that. But again, trust me, they're coming after something you will care about at some point in time. I mean, can't we just all be grown-ups and can't we all you know, recognize that some stuff is perhaps dated and people might find it to be offensive and then just use it, if nothing else, as a as a teachable moment? I'm I'm waiting for them to go after the John Wayne Moore movies. I, I'm, I'm serious. You look at a lot of a lot of the movies, the war movies that were produced, I don't know, in, in the 40s and the 50s and, and the 60s, and you look at their portrayal of, for example, Germans or Japanese, well, I, I'm, I'm fully expecting no, you know, don't expect on Memorial Day or on Veterans Day, don't expect any war movie marathons because some people won't be able to handle the, these portrayals. Just saying. All right. Along those same lines, businesses... Here is the the reality. Businesses are, retail businesses are faced with, from time to time, the problem of shoplifting, right? And so what businesses will do is they will often take some of the items which are most frequently the subject of shoplifting, retail theft, and they will lock them up. You know, so you need to you, you need to go and, and go to somebody and say, hey, I want to buy this particular product. Razor blades are, are commonly locked up at places because they're, they're easy to steal. Video games are, are oftentimes locked up at, at various places. Um, CDs, a lot of times, you're, you know, you're not able to get access to them. But I mean, video games um, there there is and, and where where that happens Two stores, two identical stores might have different policies on that. For example, there is a, um, I, I order most of my printing ink over the internet. I order it directly from HP now. But I, when I used to go to, you know, one of the big box retailers to buy the ink for my, my home printer, there was one of the big box retailers that was in a, a, I would describe it as a higher crime neighborhood. You know, and these, these printing cartridges are, you know, 100, 150 bucks. And what, in, in one neighborhood, in the, the store that was in the, okay, I want to say higher crime, less economically developed area, in order to get the printing ink, the, the cartridge, what you had to, it was all locked up and you had to have somebody come and like release the thing before you could buy it and you, you, you buy it. Okay. That's fine. 
at, at a similar store, the same store, but in a different area of of our listing area, they, they just have it on the shelves, and you could just go and you could get it. Now, now, why did they do this at one area as opposed to the other? Well, because they were obviously having a problem with shoplifting of this stuff in the the one area, so they figured they needed to do that in that area, whereas in other parts of the community, they, they didn't have a shoplifting problem, so it wasn't as necessary to do it. So it's it's kind of a, a business decision, and it historically will vary, uh, again, from from neighborhood to neighborhood. And, and you know what? On, on the one hand, you can argue, oh, that, that's, that doesn't sound like it's a fair policy. Because, you know, just because you live in, you know, one community versus another, that means the stuff is locked up versus it not being locked up. And if you have to go and ask for somebody to open it up, it makes you feel like you're a criminal or something. And, and I understand that. But at the same time, there's a reason why the businesses do that. And it's because in a particular area, you know, th- that product is getting stolen a lot. And so they're trying to stop the theft. All right. So that's the background of the story. Here is the deal. Walgreens and CVS have just made an announcement that they will stop locking up beauty and health care products aimed primarily at women of color in certain areas. So here, here's the way the story works. Um, apparently, th- there are if you go to Walgreens and you go to CVS stores, there are you know, they sell all sorts of products. Some of the products are locked up, some are, some are not. In certain areas of the country, some of their stores, they've had a huge problem with retail theft, and one of the items that's been stolen a lot is the, again, the, the, the health and beauty products primarily targeted at women in color, of color. So they, they've had those, they, they've had them locked up. And so some people are saying, well, th- this is unfair, it- it's discriminatory, it's racist, et cetera, et cetera, for you to lock these up. And and up until recently, what Walgreens and CVS has said is, look, we're we're trying to be colorblind about this. We're just looking at the products that, that get stolen. Yeah, we've got the razor blades that are locked up because people are stealing the razor blades. And, you know, we've got, you know, the other stuff. I mean, I could go through the list of this, batteries. Batteries are something that gets stolen a, a lot. And one of the things in some areas that gets stolen a lot are the, these health and beauty products primarily geared at, at uh, women of color. All right. So they've locked them up because they get stolen. Well, now what they've decided to do is, OK, we're, we're just we're going to put them on the shelves. We're sorry if we've offended anybody. And, and now we're just going to put them out there. You're, you're not going to have to get them unlocked to buy them. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I don't care one way or the other whether you know razor blades are locked up or beauty products are locked up or deodorant is locked up or you know the video games are, are locked up. I, I don't care about that. But I guess I look at stories like this and I say, I, I don't think the retailers, if there is a valid business reason for locking up a particular product, namely that it is a product that gets stolen a a lot, I I don't think the retailer should feel guilty about locking them up. And and again, I I understand it's different areas. The example I was giving with with the ink, all right? One store was obviously having a problem in one neighborhood with people coming in and stealing the ink, so they locked it up. Another store 20 miles away obviously wasn't having a problem with people stealing the ink, so they didn't feel it was necessary to do it. 
But, I mean, is it culturally insensitive for a retailer to, again, identify goods, products that are being stolen and then decide to take security measures with regard to those. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and do I understand the argument that, well, well, gee, I, I feel like I'm a second-class citizen if I have to go and ask to have this to have it, uh, it uh, opened up for the razor blades so I can get them because I'm not a thief. I, I understand how that might make people feel. But as long as there's a reason and an economic reason why that's going on, people stealing the razor blades, people stealing the ink, should the business feel guilty about doing that? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Alan in Milwaukee. Hi, Alan. You're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Hey, um, I just want to make a comment. I think uh, that they're, it's going to backfire on them. I think, um, I think they're making a bad mistake. Um, my wife, she is a store manager. She's been a store manager for a number of years at different retail locations. And basically what's going to happen, if they do this, the theft rate is going to be so high that these stores are going to close down. My wife works at plenty of uh, retail locations within the inner city of Milwaukee that have actually closed down because the theft was so high. Right. It has nothing to do with race. Right. It has something to do with, if you're in a predominantly black neighborhood, those, pr- those products are going to be really high in theft. It has right. nothing to do with race or anything like that. So this is going to backfire. It's going to, it's going to take a lot of jobs away from the community once these stores start closing down. Alan, I'm so glad you called because that, that's the effect of it. The, the reason, look, they, they don't, stores don't want to have to lock this stuff down. There's a reason why they, they do it, and it's a colorblind reason. The reason is because these are the items that get stolen a lot. And so you're exactly right. If, if, you, if you now just say, okay, here, we're, we're, just go grab it, you know the theft rate is going to increase, the profitability of the stores is going to go down, and the stores are going to close that's a great point exactly and and, and they, they can i mean just like the, the we had the issue with the uh meth they was taking all those uh, uh advil pills whatever you call it right. Sudafed, to, they locked those up because we had but people wasn't complaining about that and it's like you know it, it's just going to have a trickle down effect i think it's going to backfire on them and and and, and a whole community so uh, thanks I only got to say good luck with that no no right now thanks for calling i see i i guess i i agree to me I, look if 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 there was a policy saying, okay, we're just going to you know lock up stuff, and, and we're going to have everything under lock and key in in certain parts of of the city because of you know the the the, the shoppers here are mostly this race or that race or whatever. I I understand where there would be every legitimate beef, but but again, they don't you know whether it's whether it's CVS or Walgreens or whatever, they really, at the end of the day, they shouldn't care about who it is that's buying the product. They should be care about whether or not the product is, is being stolen and whether it's, you know, beauty products for women of color or whether it's batteries or whether it's razor blades or whether it's, uh, again, you know, video games or whatever. If, if the stuff is getting stolen, you, you should be able to, without feeling guilty, you should be able to say, look, we're, we're sorry if somebody's going to be offended by this but you know we're, we're locking it up to make it more difficult to, to do that and it's to me it, it's not a reflection of uh, again a racial thing it's just the business decision and that's why i go back to the example i was giving it's okay look i'm a i'm a you know upper middle-aged white guy and so when i would go to buy the the printer's ink if i went to the one store it's locked up 
All right. If I go to the other store, it, it's not locked up. And I think, again, that was just a reflection of, you know, the, the fact that the one store I went to in a particular area doesn't obviously have much of a shoplifting problem and the other store does. But it's th- did I get offended by it? No, I, I understand that this is this is the issue. And I guess if it helps keep the store in business and uh, again, stops the problem, what, why are we going to be upset about it? Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon to you. Hi, Bob. What do you think? I, I think this has already reached the the point of ridiculous. Does common sense resonate with anyone? Uh, and, and, and I'm going to caution everyone that's listening, uh, and, and this has, probably has very little to do with the topic, but at some point we are going to have a reactive police department across the nation, uh, not unlike fire departments, and I'm not bashing fire departments or being critical of fire departments, uh, but it, it, it's just, it, it's crazy. It, it has, it's absolutely crazy. Well, well thanks. Well, I, I mean, I guess, I, and again, I, I don't want to go back to the, the police topic, but kind of sticking with this, it, it is, you, you know, th- this idea that we're so afraid that we're going to, that we we have a policy that makes business sense. We have a policy that is is essentially on its face race neutral. Now I understand you know these particular products are are more often in this case purchased by women of color. But but I will tell you something. You know that that doesn't mean that people other than women of color would go in there and steal this stuff and then sell the stuff on the black market. I mean it, that's it's it's just it's something that's highly desirable, and so that's why they're they're trying to. Pre- Protect it. Uh, Jeff, here's a, we've got a number of texts in this. I do inventory control in a retail establishment. I don't care about the color of the thieves. We just can't keep losing goods. These businesses that are, are doing this are going to pay for it big time. Another text, Jeff, I owned a grocery store, and trust me, everyone steals. We needed to lock up the high-priced items that the people were were stealing. Well, well right, that's, that, that's it. And, and so, like I say, that's why... You, you go into various stores, and, and it's high-priced stuff. It's stuff that's easily concealable, and it's stuff that's in high demand. And, and you know, that that's why it is. And, and I agree. Is it a, is it a pain in the butt? I'm, I don't play video games anymore. Years and years ago I did. But is it a pain in the butt to have to go and say, okay, I, I want that video game, um, and would you come and unlock the counter and give me the video game? Yeah, I get it. It's a pain in the butt. But at the same time, if it's necessary because people are stealing all the video games off the shelf, it's it's not a racial thing. It's not a thing of color. It is a business decision. Nevertheless, um, what's happened is, again, Walgreens and CVS have agreed to stop locking up these particular products because some people were offended. Walmart has already done that. Let's see how this works out. And again, hopefully we can all get together and sing Kumbaya and, and it won't be a problem. But don't be surprised if Again, the don't be surprised if if the loss ends up going through the roof. And in that case, we all end up paying for it in higher prices. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Milwaukee, you have a World Series. At least you did in 1982. Bob Buecher calls another Brewers classic as we go back to the Sud Series, Game 1 of the 1982 World Series between the Crew and the Cardinals. Tune in Wednesday at 6. We're one week closer to live Brewers baseball. 
whenever that might be. Brewers Classic, sponsored by Salvation Army of Greater Milwaukee, Greater Milwaukee Honda Dealers, Sitzberger and Company, Cobison Buses, and Schneider Trucking. All right. Now, you know what I remember, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, you remember what I remember about the uh, the 1982 World Series? And I'm, I'm just, this is one where I, I perhaps need to cash in my man card. I fully recognize this, but it's what we do for love. All right. So the 1982 World Series that the Cardinals ended up winning in seven games. Now, the 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 playoff series back then that the Brewers to get into the World Series, they were in the American League at the time. They they played the California Angels. That's what they called them at the time, the California Angels. And it was a two game and then three games. So the first two games were in California. The Brewers lost both of those games. Then they come back to Milwaukee. And I can remember, because at the time I lived downtown in Juneau Village, this is 82, so I I just gotten out of law school, just got out of law school, but I live in Juneau Village, and I can remember taking like the the bus, not wanting to fool with parking, so I would I'd be on the bus going out to County Stadium for the for the playoff games, and I was with all these Angel fans, and they were just the cockiest, you know what's around. It was like, well, we're you know we're we're, we're going to win this one, et cetera, et cetera. And the Brewers came back and they won Friday, Saturday, and, and Sunday, and that uh, of the different sporting events that I have been fortunate enough in my life to to be at. That's still probably the, the top one. Um, being at the Super Bowl that the Packers won in Dallas was pretty cool too. But, but that, that, that game when they went to the World Series. So they, they go to the World Series, they play St. Louis. And it was one of those situations where first two games, again, I think we're in St. Louis and then three games at home. And then the last two games were in the, back in St. Louis. So the, the seventh game of the World Series. All right. Brewers. Three games, Cardinals three games. The seventh game of the World Series, all right, I did not watch it and I did not listen to it because my late wife and we were we had just really, really just started seeing each other. My The woman who be, became my, my wife, um, huge, oh gosh, I can't even admit this, huge Barry Manilow fan. She loved Barry Manilow. And Barry Manilow was in concert at the old Milwaukee Arena, now the UW Panther, whatever. It was Game Seven that that night of the the World Series. It was a night game, and I'm sitting there. And this is before the era. This is 1982. You, you didn't have the smartphones that you could like check on all these things. And if you if you took tried to take a transistor radio into the show, it didn't work. You know, because they pick up the AM broadcast. I went to the Barry Manilow show instead of the, instead of the seventh game of the World Series. Now, as it turned out, <clears throat> all, all, it all worked out well because I, I, we, we got married and had a you know, great life together and all that, um, and the Brewers ended up losing. But it's just, I, I've always said that that's the, that's the sign of love, you know, when you, when you give up watching or listening to, you know, Game 7 of the World Series. Now, as Sue always used to say, when I would tell that story, she would always used to say, well, that she was lucky that it was an away game because it was a home game and I had tickets. I, I wasn't going to the Barry Manilow concert. And that's it. That that was kind of a given. But um, I always think about that World Series and think about that. All right. As long as we are talking about baseball. We have we, we've discussed this from a, a number of perspectives. And I know Scott Warris talked about this a, a little bit earlier today. It. Baseball, and let me back into this topic for a second. Baseball had an opportunity, arguably, to be the first major sport that that comes back. I mean, baseball, see, baseball has this this window 
where at the, at the start of the season they're they're competing against NBA basketball but but that's but that's kind of pretty much it you know football around this country people are obsessed with college football and with professional football and so once august rolls around you know baseball kind of goes on the back burner. Now, I understand not if there's a pennant race or something like that. But as a general rule, you know, the, the window for baseball is April, May, June, July. You, you kind of hope to get people hooked, and then you've got the pennant races, and, and then you go from there. You know, baseball shut down in spring training in the middle of March and perhaps had an opportunity to come back but they, they haven't been able to get their act together and haven't been able to have an, an agreement. And I think everybody knows the story by now. When, when, when they sent people home, when they sent the players home in mid-March, the deal Major League Baseball cut with the union is, hey, if we come back and, and we play, we'll, we'll pay you prorated salaries. In other words, if we play 81 games, you'll, you'll get half your salary. So that, that was the deal. But there was an asterisk saying this, this assumes – that things are going to be normal. And this assumes that we're going to have opening days like we would have had. We're going to have fans in the stands because in baseball, they get about 40% of their revenue from uh, people showing up and concessions and things like that. My guess is in Milwaukee, it might even be higher. Okay, so now what's happened is if baseball comes back, there's not going to be fans in the stands. There's not going to be fans in the stands. So the owners are saying, look, here's the deal. Without fans in the stands, we're we're going to be losing money essentially for every game we put on if we pay you your prorated salaries. So what we want you to do is we want you to take less money and, and we can play more games. But you have to agree to, okay, if, if maybe you'd be getting 50% of your salaries, you guys have to agree to take 40% or, or whatever the number would be. But you, you have to do this because we're going to lose money every game we put on. The players have steadfastly refused anything. And they've said, nope, you know, we'll play as many games as you want, but we want prorated salaries. We like to play 100 games or whatever. And the owners have said, no, because we, we lose money every game we play in front of empty stadiums. Because if all we're depending on is TV revenue, it's not enough. Okay, part of the other problem that the um, Major League Baseball now has is that the NBA is presumably coming back. Football training camps start like late July, so the NBA is going to be pretty much, I think, like the uh, they're, they're you know they're going to be playing all these games at Disney World. There, there's going to be four or five NBA games on TV, national televised, nationally televised, pr- probably every day. So baseball is going to be competing with the NBA playoffs, and they're competing with the start of the football season. And you've got a lot of people who are saying, hey, baseball, is a, it's a 162-game season. Even if you come back with one of these limited seasons, it's, it's not going to be as exciting. Baseball had a chance to be the first one back. They have now blown it. And it looks like they might be the last one back. And the way it stands now is the players have said, we're done negotiating. They've said to the commissioner, you tell us when you want to come back and how many games you want us to play. And the owners have said, that's going to be around 50 games, tops. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I hope baseball comes back because even though it's not going to be the same and even though there's going to be an asterisk for this season, I'd still, I guess I look at it and I say something is better than nothing. And and even if it's 50 games and, and we understand it's going to be more like kind of a tournament than, than your typical baseball season, I, I think that that's, it's still a diversion. 
I think it's good to bring it back. Having said that, though, I understand there's a lot of people who are just extremely upset that you have millionaires and billionaires who couldn't get together and that we're obsessing about money from the player's perspective. Gee, I, I'm not sure I want to play for $8 million this year when you have folks who've been working through COVID-19 um, or, or lots of people, if they haven't been furloughed from their jobs, they've had to take pay cuts. All right, let's tee this up. I want to see baseball come back, but I admit all this stuff has left a bad taste in my mouth. Do All right, should they just scrap the season at this point in time? Or do they bring it back? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And in your opinion, who is to blame for the ongoing mess that has been the inability for owners and players to get their act together and say, okay, maybe this is a time where there's all this money that's out there, we need diversions, and we need to recognize that there's, there's these little guys out there that would love to be able to listen to Brewers baseball on a, on a Wednesday night. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I hope they come back, even with a 50-game series, but I concede it's it, it ain't going to be the same. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's start with Howie in Whitewater. Howie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do, you, what do we do with the baseball season? Is 50 games you know, worth it? N- no. I, I think they should scrub, just scrub the whole season. I, I think the way I look at it is that the baseball union is way too strong, and they think they're going to have an upper hand on this, and I think that's wrong. You know, I mean, it's nice to to make a lot of money playing baseball, but some of these guys are way overpaid. Well, well not only that, I, you know, it, it is interesting, and I, I, I mean, it, it's tough for me to put myself in a position where you're making that kind of money. But you know what? Even if, even if somebody said, "Okay, Jeff, you're, you're, we're not going to give you 15 million, but we're going to give you a five million for playing 60 or 70 games," and I don't take it, that's five million dollars that I've lost. I mean, you, know, you, you got a short career, and a lot of the guys don't even make five. I mean, a lot of the guys make a, a million dollars or less, which is a ton of money. But but they have careers that are like three or four years long. I, I I'd be saying, wait a second, I, I got a really short shelf life. I want to get it while I can. And uh, I agree. I I just think you know, I think we might get better baseball if we got some players that aren't making that big of money. There's a lot of good baseball players out there. Unfortunately, have not made it to the big leagues. But I think there there's a lot of good good ball players that would that would show us what they can do, and it would be successful at it. Well, you know, and the, the other problem, Howie, is, and again, this this is from my perspective as, as a baseball fan, I always have been, but there, there's a lot of competition that, that's out there now, and, you know, you, you decide, okay, if you're going to start up a, all right, we're now sitting here mid-June, you probably can't start before early or mid-July, probably mid-July at the earliest. I mean, you're, like I say, you're, you're running square into the NBA playoffs. You're running square into the football season. I, I don't know. On, on, I mean, I hope they come back, but on some level, I could just see saying, okay, let's, let's just reset this for next year and, and hope that the coronavirus is taken care of and we can have a normal opening day like we were supposed to. Yeah, I would like that. Now, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Okay, now, I have a couple texts here. Um, Jeff, I, I get that you have to support the Brewers, given the association with the Brewers, but this season is toast. Now, let me be real clear here. I, y- yes, if, you know, a- as a 
we are the flagship station for the brewers. Okay, so I, I, I understand that. And, you know, from a, just a fiscal standpoint, we, we'd love to have sports back on the air. I get that. But that's that that's a decision that's made in, in other rooms and at different pay grades and, and things like that. I, when I talk about this, I talk about from my personal perspective. And that is, I, I'm, I'm a baseball fan. I'm, I'm a sports fan. And I understand that if they come back, it's going to be a season like no other. But... You know that that that's okay. That this is a year like no other. I mean, and, and hopefully we're not going to have a year like this. You know, again anytime soon. And and I, I guess I look at the fact that all the stuff that we do and love to do in the we're not, in summers, we're we're not going to have a Fourth of July, and we'd, we'd be gearing up to do our Summerfest broadcast in two weeks. And you're not going to have a state fair, and you're not going to have the county fairs. You're not going to have any of this stuff. And I guess if if the best I can get is a 50-game baseball season. I'll take that 50-game baseball season, even if I understand it's going to be more like a tournament than it's going to be like the, the season. Let's talk to Alex and Racine. Alex, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks. Yeah, I agree with the previous caller. I think we should scrap the season. And just like you said, I'll take what we can get if we get some games. So we can't have the organizations taking a complete bath on yeah. losing so much money and it's just it's unsustainable and i think the players in the union need to learn what the limit is and this is it waiting this long to see this happen okay alex so, so let us say that it, it doesn't come together for whatever reason or you have a lot of the players that refuse to play because they, they say they're worried they're going to get sick or something like that who who ends up losing the pr battle for this does it get blamed on the owners or does it get blamed on the players my vote, I guess I'd put it on the players. Again, like the previous caller said, you said, they make they make so much money. And we, are, we understand the concessions and the vendors wouldn't be able to make their monies anyways. So they're the big losers in all of this, the right. concessions and vendors at the parks. Um, but I think in the end, it's going to be the, the players in the union because they're the ones who came back and said, you know what, like, we're done. We, yeah. just, we can't make it to the middle. Yeah. No, thanks. I, I think... I, I I tend to agree on, on this one. And I, I can remember the um remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about that, that Blake Snell, who was the, the pitcher for, for Tampa Bay, who was the Cy Young Award winner for last year, and, and I might have the numbers wrong. He he's got a fifteen million dollar contract and he's complaining that the owner's proposal would have paid him like five million dollars for like half the season. Or what I, the numbers are, are a little bit off, but you, you get the idea. He's making millions of dollars, and I remember sitting there thinking, how incredibly tone deaf of this bozo to when you don't realize that you know we've got millions of Americans who are out of work, who've either been furloughed or jobs have disappeared through no fault of, of their own, and, and legitimately don't know how they're going to make mortgage payments or how they're going to make rent payments or how they're going to make payments, you know, for, for groceries. On top of that, you have all sorts of other Americans who are, you know, driving the trucks that put the groceries in the grocery store or, or working at the checkout counters or stocking the shelves or, or doing all these things who are, you know, just continuing to to make the money they're making and, and aren't going to make $15 million over the course of their lifetime, probably. And, and here you have this guy who's whining about this stuff. And I, I thought, you know, that's that's just incredibly this tone-deaf thing. I also, again, from the perspective of the players, I, I'd be wanting to get back. And I guess, I again, if I were, when you keep, keep in mind that the, we're not talking about the Mike Trouts of the world or the Christian Yelich's, but I, I think I, I read that the average 
length of a pro career in baseball is like three and a half years. That, that's the average. And and for every guy that's making $20 million, you've got a whole boatload of guys that are making like a million dollars or less. And it's a real limited window of, of time. I just kept thinking, man, if that was me, I'd, I'd want to be making, I, I just wouldn't want to let a year go by where I wasn't getting money. And, and yeah, I mean, I know a million dollars is a, is a lot of money, but if that's what you're trained to do and you've only got a window of being able to do it for three or four years, to let a year go by, it's just bizarre. And to the point that Alex just made, wh- where is, where is the compassion for all the other people, the, okay, let, let's, let, let's forget about the, the vendors and things like that, because that's, that's, that's a lost, lost cause. Unfortunately, people are going to be, aren't going to be able to go back. But what, what about the employees of the club and, and things like that who, you know, you know, don't, do you want them not to get laid off? Well, you're, you're, you're the one that by, by playing the games, at least you bring in some revenue so maybe they can get paid. It's just extremely frustrating. Again, I hope they come back. I want to listen to Bob Euchre call games, even if it's only 50 games, but I think this has has hurt the sport more than I think some people realize. And if they don't come back or they bring baseball back and half of the star players decide that they're not going to play under these conditions and so they opt out because they're concerned about their health, I, I think it's going to really, really hurt the sport. And I think it might take years for it to recover. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So how do you think this will work out? Story just out. The Milwaukee Common Council, 11 members of the Milwaukee Common Council are exploring a 10% cut in the police, but in response to protests. Who says the squeaky wheel doesn't get the grease? Now, now they're, they're not committing to completely defunding the police, but here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. 11 members of the Milwaukee Common Council are directing the city's budget director to create a new budget, a model 2021 budget, in which the Milwaukee Police Department would lose 10% of the funding it was budgeted this year. Alderman Jose Perez, the measure's lead sponsor, said in a statement, Our citizens have been marching in the streets for the past several weeks demanding change. They deserve to be heard. If adopted, this proposal will begin a community discussion of how we could make the change. The police department's budget is $297.4 million this year. That is down from two years ago, which resulted in a number of police officers or or positions not being filled. Remember that entire thing? So now the members of the Common Council are saying, okay, we want to give the police department even less money in response to the protesters. Hmm. Okay. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, if, if you want to look at one of the major problems in the city of Milwaukee, and, and Lord knows there are many, I would argue it is an unacceptably high crime rate. I would argue, and I'm not saying you don't have problems with 
you know, uh, I mean, a, a rogue police officer here or there. But but OK, let, what, what is the problem? The, the problem is you have people getting murdered. The problem is you have people getting shot. The problem is that you have people driving through intersections at 90 miles an hour. The problem is you have carjackings. The problem is that you have burglaries. The problem is you have car thefts. And as a result, you know, some areas of the city become like war zones. Sorry if you don't want to hear that, but that's just kind of the reality. And if an area is a war zone and you're a business person, you're, you're not going to invest. You, you can choose where you open your business. You can decide where you want to open your stereo store, or your auto repair store, or your grocery store, or whatever. You're, you're not going to you're not going to go into areas where you're afraid that your employees are going to get robbed or that your customers aren't going to want to go there. All right. So. What what is the solution? Taking ten percent away from the police department's budget, which will, if history has been an indication, result in more police vacancies not being filled, or uh, more officers. I, I I don't know. I mean, I, at some point in time, you know, you take away ten percent of the budget, that that has an impact on on policing. And I have no problem with finding money for social programs. If you think the answer is midnight basketball or you think the answer is, okay, we, we need more investment in affordable housing, that, that's fine. But but is it a zero-sum game? Does it make sense to take that money from the police department? And does it make sense to take that money from the police department just because you have people going, walking up and down, parading in the streets who are upset with something that uh, a couple rogue cops did in Minneapolis three weeks ago? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's game this out. let's, Let's play this out. All right, if they do, in fact, take 10% of the department's budget, let's round up $30 million less to put into the department next year than this year. What is the logical effect of that? Is it a better, safer city or not? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Eleven members of the Common Council are saying we think it would be a good idea to cut the Milwaukee Police Department budget uh, by 10%, which would be about $30 million next year, in, in response to the, the protests. We want to show those protesters we, we've heard their message. So we're not going to defund the police, but we're going to reduce the budget by $30 million. What could possibly go wrong with that? Let's start with Julie. Julie in Kenosha, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Well, I have a thought. Um, One of the reasons why I feel that police violence is so prevalent today is because many police officers are suffering from trauma. So my thought would be this. If you're going to take 10% off the police department's budget, why not use that 10% and give these police officers trauma treatment. Because I believe that they're victims of 
what we call reenacting trauma. And that's why we have the violence problems that we have. Well, I guess, um, I guess, I mean, Julie, thank, thanks for the call. If, I, I will tell you this, if you took that 10%, that $30 million out of the budget, I, I can pretty much guarantee you that the members of the Common Council have, have no intention of, of redirecting that money towards, like, giving treatment for the, the police and, and things like that. You know, actually, one of the ideas that's kind of percolating around that I, and again, some of my law enforcement friends might not agree with this, but, you know, if you, um, one of the, one of the reasons why I, I think you, you've had rogue cops, for example, who've been able to stay on the force for a long time has been the strength of the police unions. And I, because, and I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat sympathetic to the unions because their obligation is to represent all their employees, including that, that bottom 10%. You know, one of the ideas that's floating out there is extending Act 10 to the police unions. That would be an interesting one. All right. $30 million out of the police budget. Does that make things safer or less safe? Scott in New Berlin. Hi, Scott. I have real quick comment on the last caller. Uh, the police have not become more violent. Uh, they're just getting recorded. They probably actually become less violent. Um, but my point was that, you know, the common council that seems fairly progressive taking a step right out of the, right out of the conservative handbook, you know, shrink up the government, make it as small as we can so we can drown it in a bathtub. And, uh, looks like they're playing right into the conservative, uh, mantra. To shrink government and police are for the government. Well, do you think it's a good idea? Uh, it all depends what you do with that ten million dollars. I think uh, you know the best program for crime is a program. Well, I so th- maybe education and jobs programming and expanding some bus routes uh, to get to where the jobs are might change something. Well, I guess my my answer would be, and again, I I, I don't. I, the, the idea of of taking from one to give to the other. I mean, again, if you know, if you want to talk about another jobs program, we got lots of jobs programs and and all that type of stuff. And I and, and I'm not opposed to that because, but I, I guess I firmly believe, and I always have believed, that it's not a chicken and the egg sort of thing. You as as long as you have areas of the city where crime is essentially out of control, you're, you're not going to get businesses. You're not going to get industry because people aren't going to make those investments if they're afraid their employees are going to get mugged or they're afraid that the people's cars are going to get stolen or that people are going to be afraid to shop in particular areas. I, so that's why I, I think you have to get crime under control. And then, you know, once people feel safe, I mean, for example, who wants to live you know, who wants to live in a neighborhood where there is a quote-unquote known drug house? I mean, you, you essentially become a prisoner of that particular block. And I'm, I'm not anti-spending money on different type of social programs or whatever, but this idea that, okay, people protest in the street, so our reaction is going to be, let's take money away from the, the police officers. To me, that, that's not going to make it, it work better. Okay, and, and here's, here's like the tougher question. Right now, the police department is down to about 1,800 sworn officers scattered through seven, there's seven police districts. Okay, so you got 1,800. Let's, let's say you cut that by 10%. So you cut the budget by 10%, which means, all right, you, you got to get rid of, let's say, let's say they can take the cuts and it doesn't all come out of manpower. All right. So let's say, I mean, 10% would be 180 fewer police officers on the street, but let, let's say they're able to figure out other stuff. So let's say it's only a hundred fewer officers on, 
on the street. Let, let's say that. 100 fewer officers on the street. So that translates into, let's see, seven police districts, seven into 100, carry the whatever. So that's like 14 or 15 officers in each district. All right. Do you, do, do you want to? Do you want to live in that district where there's 14 or 15 fewer police officers? Or, or maybe do you make the cuts? Well, I, I don't know. You know, some areas we, we cut fewer, some areas we cut more. But but essentially, I mean, do you really want to live in that community where there's fewer cops? Let's talk to Lamar. Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call, uh, Jeff. Hello. So um, I, I think that one of the issues with the, our, the market police department is that they're, they, they answer so many calls that, in my opinion, they should not be answering, mm-hmm. you know, and they're kind of overextended, like a lot of mental health issues, and they're doing so much, and we don't have, like, the ancillary services to answer this. And I don't like to pick on the former governor, but he kind of he didn't address this problem with Act 10. Remember the whole reason, the whole, you know, reason for Act 10 was to give the, the municipalities the tools for which to manage their budget so that the unions didn't have that lock on right? Mm-hmm. And so I agree with you that maybe Act 10 should be extended to the police because you can't you could you could then kind of, you know, force them into, you know, not necessarily taking a pay cut, but paying more into their pension, you know, paying more into their health care so that you can save that that 10 percent in other ways instead of cutting manpower. And then, you, you know, and then you can mm-hmm. take those that savings and apply it to other programs, mm-hmm. you know, because we I mean, because otherwise you're going to be stuck trying to pay for police more and more yep. police, and then cutting, cutting programs down the road or raising taxes. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I do think the idea of, of it would be interesting to see how Governor Evers would, would feel about that because, I mean, the, the, the police and fire unions were kind of off, just off limits because of some political realities were there that were there. But I, I do, I, look, I, I do think, see, I, I believe that, you pick the percentage. I would say 98% of of the officers, good officers, not problems. You do have problem employees. And, and that's what, and look, if you're a police officer, here's the reality. The, the nature of the job is that you're going to get people who complain about you from time to time. But, but. And that doesn't mean you're a bad officer, but then it's unquestionably you 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 have you have the bad officers, and, and they're the ones with like the long track records of of problems. And you do, I think, in any business. I I was in management for just a couple years in another life, and I, I always say that ninety percent of our headaches were caused by about five percent of the employees. Most employees, good, no problem, came to work, did their job, but it was the, those handful of, of problem employees. And I do think. You need to make it easier to get rid of those because I think that's you, you look back at a lot of the examples of the police misconduct and not all the time, but a lot of the people that are engaged in it are what you would call as, as problem employees. So, I mean, I, if you want to talk about, OK, do we want to revamp Act 10 or something like that, that, that's OK. But I guess this knee jerk reaction that says, oh, people are upset about something that happened in Minneapolis. So let's let's take 10 percent from the police department. I mean, it's it's sort of like when the folks were out there that were saying, let's defund the cops. And I, I remember sending out a sending out a, a tweet that said, OK, tell you what, let's 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 beta test this. Let's take four cities and let's get rid of the police department. And, you know, not, which four cities do you want to see? And let's try it for a month and, and see what happens. I mean, in the city of Milwaukee, you know, you, you've had understaffing, which has been a huge problem. And, and maybe, you know, maybe there are calls 
that are made to the police officers that, that the police shouldn't have to respond to. And, and I think that's something that's a fair conversation to have. You know, should, should, sh- I don't know, it, it, should they be responding to calls for loitering? Should they, and, I, and I, I just don't know enough about it. I mean, if I'm a business guy and I got six guys that are, you know, laying on the sidewalk, you know, drinking you know, drinking bourbon in front of my business and harassing people that are walking by, should I be able to call the cops or should I just have to look the other way? And maybe we do call the police too often for some of these these things. I don't know. We can have that discussion. But I, I'm, I'm just here to tell you the idea of taking, again, a, let's say it's 100 people from the, the force of sworn officers. Let's say you split that 30 million bucks and you, you put half getting rid of middle management or getting rid of duplicative programs or whatever. And so you only have to, uh, again, cut cut 100 cops. I mean, okay, do, do you want those cops coming out of your district? I mean, seriously? Uh, who do you call when somebody runs through that red light at 95 miles an hour in the stolen car? I, it's just... This this idea that we can somehow make things better and safer by taking money away from the police department because we want to punish the cops is silly. Now, now, if you want to work on building this more perfect society, my recommendation would be good. Find the money from elsewhere and, and then build that perfect society and then come to me and talk about defunding the police. Because then maybe you have a case. If crime was way down in the city of Milwaukee, for example, and you didn't need as many police officers and there weren't as many calls, well, okay, then I could understand why you would want to defund it. I mean, look at the city of Chicago. One day alone, what did they have, 18 homicides, 85 shootings over three days, 615,000 calls to 911? I mean, seriously, you want to talk about putting less money into the police? No, you need to put more money into the police so they can respond to these situations and then then you know do all your other social engineering that's cool build the perfect world maybe we get to a point where there's no crime and you don't need cops but we're sure as heck not there now